So we are going to be continuing our series in the book of Galatians today. So if you've got a Bible, if you'd like to turn to the book of Galatians, and we're going to be looking at this whole deal of who are we living to please? Are we living to please man for the approval of those around us, or are we living to please God? And just full disclosure at the start, I don't know if it's God's sense of humor or what it is, but like this is something I really struggle with, um, and it's a real temptation for me to want to live to please those around me. And so um, like I've been properly grappling with this like in my own heart, um, and God's been really speaking to me about this. So as I stand up here to speak today, I'm like still speaking to myself. Um, so um, yeah, let's see if we can dig into this a bit together. So. Um, The book of Galatians. Um, So just to kind of give a bit of context about the book. So um, Galatians is written by Paul, the Apostle Paul, um, to, I think, a collection of churches in an area called Galatia. And Paul had been with the Galatians. So he'd been there. He'd shared the gospel with them. Um, he, you know, lots of people had given their lives to Christ. And then he had started all these local churches, set them on their way. And then he was elsewhere. And then he hears this report, I guess, about how they're getting on and what's going on with them. Um, and he, he writes to them. So this book, Galatians, it's literally the, their letter. Uh, the letter that he'd written to them. And he's writing to them, really, to urge them not to stray from the gospel of grace. Um, I'm going to actually read the few, pas- the few verses before our verse, because we're just looking at one verse today. So I'm just going to read the few verses that come before, just to help us kind of roll into it. So chapter 1, verse 6, Paul says this, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ, and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Paul, can you just give me some water? please. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so we've, in the verses before our verse today, we've got this deal, so Steve spoke on it a couple of weeks ago, that the Galatians, they're, they're turning away from the gospel of grace. There were some people who were deceiving them into believing that, that Jesus' death and resurrection wasn't sufficient to be pleasing to God, and that they needed, they needed faith through Jesus, plus they needed these other sort of Jewish traditions to be able to be pleasing to God. And Paul's saying, hey, no, there's no such thing as that. There's no such thing as the gospel plus. Paul is not happy about what's happening with them, is he? Understandably. And so the the verses before our passage, it's Paul imploring the Galatians, hey, don't adhere to any other gospel. In fact, there's no such thing as any other gospel. Let's stick to the true gospel of Christ. Also, it's taking forever to get me water. <laughs> Sorry, love. Thank you. Okay. <clears throat> okay. And then Paul says, so we're in verse 10. This is our verse for today. He says, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I was still trying to please people... I would not be a servant of Christ. So Paul brings this challenge to the Galatians. 
And then what he does is try to make explicit his motivation in doing that, right? He's saying, hey, guys, I'm not, I'm not bringing this challenge because I'm trying to please this group or that group or because I really want you to accept me or um, any of those things. And he doesn't shy away from it either, does he? He doesn't kind of back off from it. He's trying to make explicit here, he's trying to explain to them what his motivation is in bringing this challenge, that he's willingly and boldly bringing this challenge to them out of obedience to Christ. He's saying, hey, I'm, I'm doing this because I'm a servant of Christ. That's what this is all about. And he asks this rhetorical question to them. He says, am I trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? And the answer is obviously God, right? And I wonder if for Paul, it could have been a temptation to, um, to compromise or to, to stray from the truth here. Um, later on in, in the book of Galatians, Paul says, he says to them, have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? I wonder if Paul anticipated that this might cause a bit of a stir, that um, you know, some of them might not be happy with what he was saying, certainly probably not those who were kind of trying to get these Jewish traditions back in, um, that some people would be unhappy with what he was saying or might reject him or think badly of him. And I, I wonder if he felt tempted to compromise or, hey, guys, let's find a solution that works for everybody here. Um, you know, in the face of potential rejection or disapproval, he didn't compromise, did he? He continued to step out in obedience to God, speaking the truth in love. I get the impression that he was, he's kind of saying, hey, guys, I'm actually compelled to do this as a servant of Christ. I'm compelled to speak the truth to you here. And I think in, you know, this is a wonderful example of how Paul lived wholeheartedly, single-mindedly for Jesus. He just lived for an audience of one, didn't he? Whatever God wants me to do, that's what I'm doing. But I think this verse actually shows us that this actually wasn't always the case for Paul. So towards the end of verse 10, he says, um, if I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. If I was still trying to please people, that suggests that there was a time where he was trying to please people, right? So we know that before Paul encountered Christ, he was a Pharisee. Um, he was a Jewish person, a Pharisee, kind of strictly observing the law. It probably looked really impressive on the outside, all kind of outward behavior, but no heart on the inside. And he's saying, hey, I used to live like this. I used to live for the approval of others, for the applause of others. But then something changed, encountered Jesus, and he received something from God. Paul was a people pleaser. Then he encountered Jesus, and he received something, and now he's a God pleaser. Now a servant of Christ, set free, living to please the Father. That's a big change, isn't it? Right? I guess we don't know, did that just happen like that on the Damascus Road? He's just like, whoa, no longer people pleaser. Now I'm living to God, or was it a bit more of a journey? I guess we don't know that. I wonder if maybe you're sitting there thinking, yeah, I can relate to this whole deal of sometimes living to please others for the approval of others, worrying too much, preoccupied about what other people think of me and how I'm coming across. Maybe sort of think, I couldn't ever not be that. It's just it's who I am. It's how I'm made. Have you ever tried just not caring about what people think? It's really hard. Johnny thinks it's really hard, and so do I. It's really hard, right? Not talking about, you know, 
that kind of, what I'm not saying here is, hey guys, let's just spool around and upset everyone and, you know, just be really harsh with one another. I don't care what you think anyway. Absolutely, that is not what I'm saying. We're to care for one another deeply. You know, we're to um, help one another. We're to seek each other's input, aren't we? What do you think of this? What do you think of that? How am I doing here? Absolutely, we're to do all of this. But we're talking about this whole deal of when we, when, um, we care too much about what people think of our obedience to Christ, when we're driven by, when we're motivated by how we're coming across to other people. So Paul, he, he was a people pleaser, he encountered Jesus, and now he's a God pleaser. What did he receive? Like, I want to know, what, what happened in that moment? What did he receive? The first point is he received something, right? It wasn't his own efforts. It says in Romans 8, verse 8, those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God, okay? So the realm of the flesh, that's just kind of a fancy way of saying those who are kind of in their sinful nature, in their kind of human nature before they've been made new in Christ, cannot please God. Paul could not please God of his own efforts. We have a holy God, a perfect God, and all of us fall short of his glory. Outside of encountering Jesus, none of us can please God. So it wasn't something Paul did. He didn't will himself out of being a people pleaser. He didn't pull his socks up, try harder. He received something from Christ that changed him. Paul couldn't please God, but there is one who has perfectly pleased God, right? Jesus, he himself talked about how he pleased the Father. Jesus says, for I always do what pleases him. That's the Father. And God the Father, he spoke over Jesus from heaven after Jesus was baptized, and he says, this is my son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Jesus perfectly pleased God. And so what Paul received was an encounter with, when he encountered Jesus, through faith in Jesus, Paul became hidden in Christ. He couldn't please God, but Jesus could. Jesus perfectly pleased God, and Paul He's clothed, it says, doesn't it, that he, we become clothed in Jesus. So the delight the Father has in Jesus and how Jesus pleases him, it's suddenly ours. Everything that is Jesus's is ours. And that was true for Paul. Being hidden in Christ, he didn't only receive forgiveness for his sin, he also received a wonderful welcome into the family of God. Adoption as a son, a new identity. He became a whole new creation in a moment when he encountered Jesus. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God. Through faith in Christ, Paul received a whole new identity, which came with a whole new way of relating to God and a whole new way of relating to those around him. He was decisively transferred from one kingdom into another kingdom. It was a decisive action initiated by God. So Paul's kind of saying, hey, I used to live for others. I used to live for their approval. But now I'm a servant of God, and I live for his approval only. He received this wonderful gospel of grace, and that's what changed him. The same is true for those of us who are followers of Christ today. Perhaps you're here today and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. This gospel is for you as well. It's not some exclusive club. There's nothing special about us. We've just encountered Jesus. And I wonder, have you received this gospel? And if you have received it, 
It's a wonderful gospel which decisively changes you from an old creation into a new creation. Are you living in the good of it? And I just know for me that there's times where I find it hard to stand in the truth of this. You know, there's this reality that I'm a new creation. I'm standing here. There's nothing I could do to impress God or please God, but he, out of his incredible mercy and kindness, has showered his love and his forgiveness upon me and given me a new heart, made me totally new so that I can be free. I just, I just have to live for the Father. But what I can do is kind of wander off over here back to my old ways and suddenly, ah, oh, you know, worrying about this or worrying about that. And just a perfect example for me at the moment is standing up here to do this talk. Like, honestly, I've just spent more time than I would have liked to freaking out about what you guys are going to think of me. <laughs> oh, you know, what are you guys going to think of me? Are you going to think I'm any good at this? Are you all going to go away and over your Sunday dinner say, oh, dude, she totally messed that up, didn't she? What was she on about? Yeah, I know you do. I know you do. This is in my head, right? But this is what we can do. I don't think it's only me, right? This is what we can do, isn't it? We go back to our own ways. I want you guys to thought well of me, and it's like, ah, oh, I've got that totally wrong. Sometimes my prep time over the last couple of weeks has been motivated by wanting you guys to think I've done a good job, rather than wanting to please the Father, rather than, you know, okay, God, you give me this, I'm just going to step out in obedience, it only matters what you think of me, I'm living for an audience of one. I think if I'd spent more time living in that truth, then it would have been a much more peaceful week for me. <laughs> And probably I would have served you guys better, right? <coughs> so I think, I don't think this is only me. And so let's just take a moment to ask ourselves, to ask God to search our hearts. Am I living to please God or living to please people? What are the situations that I might find myself preoccupied with what other people think of me? Some questions that I've just found it helpful to kind of ask myself and help discern this in my own heart. I'm not going to spend a long time on these, but perhaps just to kind of take note of and work through with God sometime or in your life groups. Do you fear the disapproval of others more than you fear displeasing God? I was thinking about, um, you know, there are times when I lose my patience with the kids. And um, if that happens when I'm around other people and I speak harshly to them or whatever, Usually, the first thing I think is, oh, people are going to think I'm such a bad mum. Rather than, oh, God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry I've not loved you well. I've not loved them well. Help me. Do you fear the disapproval of others more than you fear displeasing God? Another question. Is there a disconnect between your public and your private self? Is your behavior the same whether you're around those whose approval you maybe really care about? compared to when you're alone? Because if there is, it might suggest that you're motivated by wanting to please those around you or not displease them. Does your joy, peace, confidence, your feeling of security ebb and flow depending on how others are responding to you? Do you ever choose not to step out in obedience to God because you're worried about what others will think of you? Ever ignored the Holy Spirit prompting you to pray for someone? Because you think, oh, I think I'm really weird. Or, you know, ever not wanted to pray out loud for fear of what others might think of your prayer? Anyone? <laughs> Just me? Yeah, all of those. Yeah, okay. And I think 
it's a temptation probably common to all of us at different times that we, we stray away from this incredible new creation status that we have where we only, we only have to live to please God. We only have to live in the good of his delight over us. But what we do is wander off, don't we, and get ourselves in the right knot and the right pickle about other things. You're not alone. And the good news is that we're covered by grace, that we have a God willing and quick to forgive and to help us to grow to be more like him. How am I doing for time? Fine? Okay. So we're just going to spend a bit of time on picking a couple of issues of the heart that I think has caused us to live for the approval of man. I'm just going to work through, through those one at a time. So the first one is fear of man. And actually, the Bible has a lot to say about this. I'm not going to have much time to kind of really dig into it, but I'd really encourage you to maybe make it a Bible study or something, look into it. The Bible actually has a lot to say about this, and that's because this is not like a current problem. This is a problem, you know, common to human, humans across across the centuries. The Bible speaks about it. In Proverbs 29, verse 25, it says, fear of man will prove to be a snare. If we live out of fear of man, we'll trip up, we'll stumble, we'll fall. It won't bear fruit. We'll lose our peace. It won't go well for us. When we're talking about this deal of fear of man, we're speaking of our fear of being disliked, being rejected, shunned, humiliated, our fear of being thought badly off, of being cancelled. We live in a cancel culture, don't we? And it results in our thought life, our behavior, our time, our attention being given to trying to fit in, keep others happy, ensuring we're well represented in the minds of others, perhaps watering down truth, the things we believe in, to make it more palatable and less offensive, less likely to cause a stir. I wonder if that was a bit of a temptation for Paul in this verse that we're looking at here. But the reality is when we fear man, what we're actually doing is prizing the approval and the acceptance of man more than the approval and the acceptance of God. And it gets in the way of our obedience to Christ. When we live consumed with fear of those around us, we forget, it's because we've forgotten that we have an awesome, mighty, majestic God. I was thinking it's, it's a little bit like, so is anyone here afraid of spiders? Yeah, oh, Glynis is really afraid of spiders. Sorry, Glynis. <laughs> um, so, and Steve is. Yeah, so is Paul, actually. He didn't put his hand up, but he is. <laughs> so, imagine... <laughs> Sorry, love. Imagine that you're in a room on your own, okay, and there's a spider. Now, as far as I'm aware, spiders in the UK can't cause us any harm, serious harm. Maybe a little bite. Do we have a few bitey spiders? But... Nothing serious. So imagine you're in a room with a spider, quite a big one. It's about this big. And you, you know it's there. You're freaked out by it. And you're kind of keeping an eye on it. You're preoccupied with it. Okay, I'm just going to keep the spider over there, and I'm just going to stay over here, and I'm just going to try not to go near it. You know, you're quite consumed with this spider. And then imagine that through the door walks a really hungry lion, right? All of a sudden, that spider is like small fry, isn't it? In fact, you're probably going to even move towards the spider to try and get away from the lion, yeah? And it's not a very perfect example because 
God is gracious and slow to anger and rich in love, and lions are not that. They're just hungry beasts. So it's not a perfect example, but it's a little bit like that, that we, we become, become preoccupied with the fear of man, the fear of what other people will think of us, because we're indifferent to the lion in the room, because we've forgotten that we've got a huge, majestic, holy God, and that we, we need to have a healthy fear of God, right? There's only one opinion that really matters. That's the opinion of the one who made us, the creator of the heaven and earth, the one who one day will judge the whole earth. And it's not that we're to be scared of God. It's not like, a, you know, it would be right to be scared of the lion. Absolutely. We're not to be scared of God like that. He's gracious. He's compassionate. He's slow to anger. We're adopted into his family. We're his children. For those of us in Christ, Nothing can ever separate you from the love of God. That's his promise to you. So it's not that we live out of being scared that we might lose our salvation, that we might lose our relationship with God. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But he is holy. And he is a God who hates sin. And he is judge over all the earth. And we do right to have a healthy reverence and awe of God, wouldn't we? He's a majestic, mighty, powerful God. And I think if we were filled with more of a healthy reverence towards the Lord, it would lead us to obedience. It would lead us to submitting more to his will. We'd be preoccupied with wanting to do the will of the Father rather than preoccupied with what people around us think. Are you with me? Yeah. Yeah. So how do we grow in our fear of the Lord? Just a few practical things that I've been trying to put into place and kind of thinking on. Preoccupy, preoccupy our minds with him. There's an active deal in this, I think, that we fill our minds more with God than we do with thoughts about other people. Meditate on his character, meditate on his word. Work out what fills you with awe and do more of it. For me, it's like looking at the stars. We live out in the countryside now, and there's no light pollution. We don't have any streetlights. And when I look at the stars, it's just like, whoa. <laughs> whoa, the stars, like they're, that is just incredible. And God just holds all that in his hand. It's like, whoa. <laughs> we have a majestic and a mighty God. Do more of whatever fills you with awe. Think about him more. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Use scripture, it's living and it's active. Fill your mind with scripture about the awesomeness of God. Let's be growing in having a healthy fear of the Lord. <clears throat> That's my first one. Are we all right for time? Yeah. Secondly, I think the second issue and one of the other issues in our heart that can cause us to live for the approval of others is love of human praise. And this isn't about encouragement. We love to be encouraged. It's a good thing. We need it. It's good. It's God-given. We need to be encouraged. It literally means to be helped to be courageous in the Lord. We need that. That's not what I'm talking about here. Let's keep seeking encouragement and giving it generously. But love of human praise, it's different to that. It's when we live for popularity, for reputation, for status, when we live out of wanting to be impressive, Perhaps it feeds our pride. Perhaps it felt, helps us feel less insecure. When we have a love of human praise, we're motivated by being impressive rather than obedience to the Father. 
who unconditionally delights in us. In one of the commentaries I read, they kind of described it like we, what we get to do in our kind of new creation status in our relationship with God is feast on the delight of the Father. It's a feast. You know, his delight is never-ending. His pleasure, he sings over us. His joy in us is never-ending, not because we're impressive, but because we're clothed in what Jesus has done for us. We get to just feast on this incredible delight that the Father has on us. But what we do is we just... Sometimes, you know, we just go for the scraps of human praise, somehow thinking that's better than feasting on the delight of the Father. Just going to use a couple of verses in the book of John to help us think about this a bit more. So John chapter 12. Um, I'm actually going to read from the ESV translation here because I think it just helps us unpack this a bit. So um, these verses come in the context of John talking about Um, belief and unbelief amongst the Jewish people. Um, And John says this, he says, so verse 42, yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him. So many of the Jewish leaders believed in Jesus, right? But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. Why? For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. They love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And it got in the way of their obedience to Christ in choosing to live wholeheartedly for Christ. So what is this glory that comes from God or glory that comes from man? I don't know if it's just me, just a little side note. Has anyone else ever wondered, what does glory actually mean? We say it all the time, don't we? Glory to God, what what does it actually mean? Maybe it's just me. But um, So let's just start there. So what is glory? I think it's quite a hard thing to define. Um, Tim Keller talks about it. He says it's the going public of God's holiness. God's glory is the going public of his holiness. It's the way that God puts his holiness, his beauty, his perfection on display for us all to see. And when we live for the glory that comes from man, like sometimes we might be tempted to do, like these leaders did here, We're concerned more with the going public of our own efforts, our own goodness, than we are pointing to the glory of God. More concerned maybe with getting a name for ourselves than making a name for God through our obedience to him. And I think this is a temptation common to many of us probably, to want to be impressive. The message version of the Bible says, um, kind of describes this verse like this. It says, when push came to shove, they, that's the leaders, cared more for human approval than for God's glory. And I wonder if you can think of situations in your life where that might be true. If push came to shove, maybe you'd care more about human approval than God's glory. And I know I can definitely think of situations like that in my life, and I need to repent of that. To repent just means literally to turn, turn 180, to turn away, to say no to the ungodliness of that, of that wanting to be impressive, wanting to make a good name for myself. And when we repent, when we turn away, what we come back to is the gospel. And as we dwell on and receive the good news of Christ, it humbles us. It humbles us because the gospel says it's okay to not be impressive. In fact, you're not impressive compared to a holy God. But you are loved and cherished and delighted in because you're a child of God, not because you're good at this or not good at that. The gospel kills pride, 
and it settles in security. So we don't need to live for the scraps of human praise around us. And from this place of complete acceptance and unconditional love, we can then give ourselves freely to pleasing God. And as we give ourselves to pleasing God, then we get to enjoy more of the delight in the relationship with him. And then we want to give ourselves even more to pleasing him, and then we get to enjoy even more the delight in him. I was thinking it's a little bit like um, in parenting. So we've got three kids, and there's kind of a, there's a static kind of unchanging situation between us that they're my kids, and I love them because they're my kids. And that doesn't change depending on their level of obedience, thankfully. <laughs> okay? But there's also a dynamic situation between us, which is that I, I do delight in those times when they obey me. When they're taking on board my instruction, when they're listening to my words, when they're doing what I've asked. There's joy and there's delight. When there's obedience in the relationship, there's delight and there's joy in the relationship. And that's the same in our relationships with God. So instead of loving human praise, let's live to please God and delight in the feast of his delight in us. So what what pleases God? How do we do that? It's not about earning, earning our salvation. Absolutely not. But there are things we can do to please God. This was like a bit of a revelation to me. I think living wonderfully, you know, we spend so much time talking about the grace of God. We do live in the grace of God. And I think maybe I have had a bit of a tendency to shy away from this deal of pleasing God. Like, ah, but, you know, I don't want to take away from the gospel of grace. But actually, these two things go together. There are things that we can do that please God from a place of freedom and safety in our relationship with him. So when we receive the gifts he offers us, when we receive forgiveness, receive relationship with him, when we receive his Holy Spirit, when we enjoy our adoption as his sons and daughters, it pleases the Father. Hebrews 11 verse six says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So that suggests with faith, with faith, it's possible to please God. When we're people of faith, putting all our trust in him, that pleases him, that pleases the Father. Because it says, hey, I trust you. I know you've got good for me. I know your ways are the right ways. It pleases God when we take his word seriously, when we live by his commands. Seeing these guys get baptized today. Amazing step of obedience. That's really pleased the Father. He loves that you've done that. I'm coming into land now. Just think how amazing it would be if we, like Paul, all just lived for an audience of one. If we just knew our sonship, knew our daughtership, knew the freedom that we had in God just to live to please him, if we lived solely for the well done, the applause of our Father in heaven, we'd be more like Jesus. I think we'd be bolder. We'd be more courageous. I think our love for each other would be more genuine. So I think we've got a bit of time. Just want to encourage us just to take this time to respond, to allow God to search your heart.
where stuff comes up, repent, knowing that your Father loves you. Perhaps for some, this might be a moment just to kind of decisively say no. That's of the old self. No to the fear of man. No to feeding off human praise. Perhaps you've not encountered Jesus before. And you're thinking, oh, that sounds amazing. What, I can just live in total freedom? It's simple to just come before God and say, hey God, I want to get to know you. I'm sorry for living without you. Let's remember what God has done for us. Okay? He's made us new creations. The old is gone, the new is here, and we have a wonderful truth to stand in today.